0: Uh, Welcome to RUF. Uh, My name is Chris, if I haven't met you. Um, I'm the campus minister. I would love to meet you if I haven't. Um, Thank you guys for coming. I know it's midterms. I know fall break is looming. Trust me, nobody's more ready for fall break than me. So, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for taking the time to be with us this week, for taking the time out of studying, coming from the library or whatever you're doing, or just completely blowing off school and just coming here anyway, because you're kind of... (laughs) Um, also, thank you. A lot of you said really nice things last week. Um, we were talking about the resurrection last week in RUF, and a lot of you guys said really nice things about, you know, what we said or what I said. And it was really sweet, but the whole time I was thinking, like, man, this is going to be really awkward next week because we're going to talk about hell. And uh, I was like, ah. Anyway, probably won't get as many many uh, compliments because we're talking about the judgment, folks. Um. But we, uh, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed this semester. Um, hold on, back up. We, we say this a lot, can't say enough. We're really glad you're here, especially if this is your new, if you're new, it's your first time. Or you're just trying us out, really thankful. Whether you're just not a Christian, you're not sure. Or, especially tonight, if you are a believer and you feel kind of tired, like you've been on the treadmill of making God like you. Really glad that you're here, and hopefully this community of Christians or just people trying to figure out about Jesus, hopefully this community can be a restful place for you. I know a lot of you guys have a lot going on in your lives, and I really hope that you guys can come to this place and feel like this is a rejuvenating, restful place for you. So, anyway, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed this semester. The Apostles' Creed is this ancient summary of the Christian faith, and uh, I'm getting some looks. Is it it bad? Oh, man well it's not the monitors it's it's actually coming through the house thing well let's let's go with this Nick can we all give it up for Nick's kitty cat hat by the way check 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 hello is it me you're looking for check 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 you're really good by the way that's Nick Carter everybody the Nick Carter Uh. Yeah, he's, he's come a long way from his Backstreet Boys days to be running the, the sound. Is this, okay, this is okay, right? We'll go with that. Okay, sorry about all the delay. Um, we've been having some sound issues, not because this sound team is doing a bad job, just because we have to get in here real quick and rush everything. So anyway, thanks for bearing with uh, us. So we're in the Apostles' Creed this semester, and uh, it's a summary of the Christian faith. It's really old. All Christian traditions hold to this. And tonight we get to a part in the the creed, as you'll see in your handout if you have it, that after Jesus was resurrected, he died, uh, he was buried, he was resurrected, and that he ascended into heaven, he went back to the throne that he was on as God of the universe, and he sits with God the Father at his right hand, and so he's on the throne, but he's going to come again, and he's going to judge the living and the dead, okay, and Some of you guys might be thinking, like, I come to RUF because you say that you're like the grace group, and now I'm coming to RUF and we're getting the judgy, judgy group, and I don't love that. If I want some of that, I'll go out on Sanford Mall and talk to someone that's holding up a big sign. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really into this vengeful, angry God that judges people. I'm into this this loving God. And um, what I hope... Um, that we can do tonight as we discuss the reality that Jesus is coming back to judge the world. Um, I hope that we can begin to um, see that uh, Christ as judge is good and that's, that it's good news for us. I expect this to raise more questions than it can answer. Um, I've long ago gotten rid of the idea that like I will be able to answer all of your questions from the front. But we have a Bible study that meets on Thursdays at four o'clock that this guy leads. What room is it in? It's in like Tater Hill? Tater Hill, in the Tater Hill room um, of the union, which is just down here at four p.m. on Thursdays. And actually, it's it's a it's a Bible study for people with questions. And we're talking about hell tomorrow. So if you got questions, that's the place to take them. Um, today is my is my daughter's second birthday, and. It goes by so fast. And she's adorable, and she's two, and she had a terrible attitude all day. But um, this is her birthday, okay? She'll do what she wants. And uh, so when you're two, you don't really understand a lot of what's going on. You're like, why? Or is there candles? She was freaked out by the candles, you know. And... um, so what, my wife is amazing, and part of the reason she's amazing because she thinks she's a terrible mother, but in fact, she's a wonderful and caring and amazing mother. And um, so this morning, after I got out of the shower, my wife was on the bed with our two girls, and she was reading a book called The Bell of the Bunny. And it was about, it's a book about having a birthday party, okay? Because she was trying to help our two-year-old understand what was going on. So what she did was that she told her a story and the, one of the great things about God is that he's so much greater than us, and, but he comes and he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. I think we kind of take that for granted, that like he's spoken to us by his son, he's spoken to us in the Bible, and we can read it and understand it. And he's really lowered himself to do that. But Jesus was a master storyteller. And often when he wanted to help us get our mind around this a really big idea, he would tell a story called a parable. And so tonight we're going to look at a parable that's about... His second coming in the judgment. So, um, uh, also, one more thing a lot of, before we get going here, um, I have yet to have an original thought in my life, and um, you probably haven't either. A lot of what I say from the front is derived from someone else. Tonight, it's really derived from someone else. I borrowed heavily from two pastors that I love and respect that are in my denomination, a guy named Brian Habig, who is a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina. And a guy named Tim Keller who's a pastor in New York. So, I basically just stole all this from them. Um, Anyway, we're going to be in Matthew 25 after that long introduction. Thanks for bearing with. We're going to be in Matthew 25 starting in verse 14. If you have your handout, you can look there. Or you can look in your copy of God's Word. If you need a Bible, there's some for free on the back table as you leave. Listen, this is God's Word. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hard words. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words. And um, we struggle because we're not you. And we don't necessarily understand your ways. But Lord, we know you're good. Jesus, we know that you have been kind and that you have shed your own blood um, for us. And so we ask that you would be with us by your spirit tonight. Show us your goodness. Uh, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, as, as, we, as we kind of begin to this, sort of discuss what this second coming of Jesus is like and what it's all about, um, I want to look at three things with you. I want to look at the character of God, and I think that's really what this comes down to, but what is God like? Um, the trajectory of our souls, and then the freedom of the gospel. Those are the three things I want to look at um, with you together. So there's this, there's this, this parable Jesus tells Obviously, this is a story about Jesus coming again. If you, look, if you have your Bible and you're looking around, there's all of these stories about Jesus coming again. Actually, right after this, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he's talking a lot about coming back and, and, and judging. And so he tells this story. And it's a little bit confusing to understand at first, but I'm going to try to maybe break it down a little bit. Um, so he's obviously talking about himself. He's going to leave. And then he's going to come back later. And there's, so there's these three guys. The thing about a parable is that if you try to take each individual detail and figure out exactly where it lines up, you miss the point. Because he's really trying to make an overall impression on you. So Jesus says, okay, this guy, this master goes away and he gives this stuff to these guys. Now, you're like, what's a talent? He gave him five talents. His can play the trumpet and he can do the unicycle. And uh, that's his five talents. Um that would be awesome. Um, but a talent really is equivalent to, um, to uh, what one year's wages, or actually, twenty twenty 20 years wages of a day laborer, okay? So if you were talking about that today, one, you know, say, let's say an average person makes $30,000 a year, 20 years, that's what, six hundred dollars right? And uh, so you, the guy who gets one talent to, that's $600,000. is a significant amount of money. Once he gets to the two talents, we're in the millions, and the five talents, obviously, a lot. So he gives it to these guys, and then he leaves, and then he comes back. And as, as you've seen here, you know the, the first guy with the five talents, um, he comes back, and he says, look, I, you gave me five talents, and, uh, and I made five talents more. It, it says that he gave them to them according to their ability. So this guy, he's a go-getter. He's really sharp. He goes, he, he trades, he makes more money, and he gives the guy back double the money he had. And look at what he says, what the master says to him. Um, he said, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, and then there's the guy with the two talents. Okay, maybe he's not as sharp, but he's still doubled his money, right? And the guy, the master comes to him. And if you look at what he says, he says the exact same thing. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your your master. Now when he gets to the third guy, that's where things start to change, right? He gets to the third guy, and the third guy did nothing with the money. He buried the money. And the reason why he says he buried the money, he did nothing with it, is because he said, I knew you to be harsh. I was afraid to do anything with the money because you're mean, and you're unfair, so I buried it, and here, you can just have it back, you old mean, and just leave me alone. Um, when I was in college, I studied photography, obviously, and um, and it was the kind of photography you can't get a job with. That's the downer, and here we are, and uh, I so I had this weird kind of dual life because I was a photography student, and we had one major professor, and um, I also worked for a photographer that worked for the university, and he was his a great guy. But He mostly worked with, worked with the athletic program at Georgia Southern. It was awesome and so during the day I I was doing class and at night I was working with a photographer and um, my professor she was like the Georgia Southern Photography Department um, uh, Professor Snape Um, (laughs) and like I'm saying all this like I'm realizing now that like as a a grown up that like I was probably you know not super fair to her but um, she she wasn't super nice she had the dyed black hair and uh she wasn't she wasn't super nice she was actually quite discouraging um of any work that i would do she was discouraging to most people she would have a couple of favorites and that was it and um she was particularly disparaging the fact that i was a christian and i had just become a christian so i was like oh i'm being you know martyred by my professor (laughs) Uh, (laughs) persecution is hot and real um but she just, she just wasn't super nice, and uh, I would do work, and she was just would be kind of snide about it. But then I would go to work for the guy that I worked for, and he was great. He was really like a, like a dad to me, and um, he was always happy that I was there. He was happy about what I was doing. He would give me work to do, and uh, he, would, he would just sort of praise it, and we would go to Sonic, and it was awesome. And, um, and it was really hard. It was just drudgery to do work for my professor. Okay. Um, because because she was she was harsh. But then when I go to work, it was really easy to stay late, to do more work, to kind of like bust my tail to, to do work for this guy because of his character, because he was kind. And, and what's happening here is this guy is saying, look, I couldn't do work. I had no motivation. I was afraid of you because you're harsh. I know something of your character. But really, what's this master like? He just gave this dude $600,000 and very little instruction on what to do with it. He leaves to go into a far country. He's not micromanaging him. He's not sending managers there to keep an eye on him. He's very actually free with him. And the other two guys seem to have no no trouble with him. They seem to believe the best about him, and they want to do their um, best. The major difference between the first two guys and the third guy is not their abilities. It's not the amount that they were given. It's their understanding of the character of the master. Two guys saw the master as fundamentally good, and one guy saw the master as fundamentally harsh and evil and unfair. Um, and what Jesus is showing us here is that what, is, what matters the most is what you believe about God's character. He's showing us what it looks like for an individual to believe that the master is not loving and good. That's what Jesus is showing to us in this this passage. And the guy, far from just rejecting the proposition of the master, he's actually rejected the master himself because when he came to him, he said, you were mean, you were harsh, you were unfair. Take what you have and take it back because I don't want it. Uh, Martin Luther, who also was alive before the 80s. Um, he was alive before the 1580s. Um, he, he, has, he says something really poignant about sin, and it's this. The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. You get what he's saying there? The thing that's beneath all of our sins is that we believe this lie that we can't trust the love and grace of Christ and that we must take matters into our own hands. What each of these men believed about the master determined how they lived, determined how they responded to the master, determined what they did. Um, One believed that he was full of grace, love, and mercy. The other one believed that he was vindictive and cruel and unfair. And Jesus is saying I want you to see what these guys are doing, because this is how we respond to God. What he's showing us here is that our, the, tr- the trajectory of our soul. He's saying this. We have our mind made up about God. I don't know if you, if you think that way, if you realize that. Many, many of you might think that you're just kind of evaluating this whole thing. And, um, but Jesus is telling us here, we have our mind made up one way or the other about God. Everything in the world, the scripture says, shows us that God is good that he's patient, that he's creative, that he's loving. And yet we, some of us choose to believe that he is unfair and cruel. And so what we do then is we either turn toward God and we say, you're loving and you're good and you're the source of all love and goodness. And so I'm going to move toward you. Or we turn away from God and we say, you're to be feared. uh, You're mean, you're vindictive. And I'm going to move away from you. Um, now, to talk about hell, um, we, we tend to think of hell like this. Tim Keller is really spot on when he talks about this. Um, go to the Bible study. But uh, Keller says this. He says, we tend to think about hell as, you know, God comes and he says, okay, you're going to go to hell. But what you can do is you can trust in Jesus and you won't go to hell. And the window is open. I'm taking orders now. But when you die, it's over. And we have this idea of hell that it's full of a bunch of people that have gone, Oh no, hell is for real. Ah, that's a pun. That's the movie, Heaven's True. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when are they going to make that one? <laughs> that we have this idea that hell is full of a bunch of people They go, Oh, hell is real. No, 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 wait. I want mercy. I want Jesus. I want mercy. And the God's going, Nah. It's too late. You had your chance. The window is closed. There's no turning back now. And this is kind of how we imagine hell. That this is what it's like in the judgment. But Keller puts it very differently. And he says exactly what Jesus is saying here. Is he says, we've picked our trajectory. We've decided that either God is good and we're going to move toward him or God is evil and we're going to move away from him. He says this, hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. We are eternal beings. Fundamentally, we do not change when we die. And the trajectory that we've placed ourselves on, either moving toward a God of love and goodness or away from Him and saying, You're mean and spiteful, is the trajectory that we will continue on forever. And really, in a sense, hell is us getting what we always wanted to be isolated, bitter against God, resentful, and able to give in to all the fits and furies. Um, that we love so much. In a sense, God doesn't say, you're going here and you're going here. He goes, you're going where you're going, and you're going where you're going. C.S. Lewis, if you, if you read a book, if this you know, spurs your interest, please read The Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book about, about sin. But in another one of C.S. Lewis' books, he says, there's really only two types of people in the world. Those that say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, "Thy will be done." Um, Hell is merely the trajectory of where we're already moving, Um, because, as in the story here that Jesus tells, our our sin is not merely a rejection of God's rules; it's not a rejection of God's propositions to us. Our sin is a rejection of God Himself. Our sin is us telling God, "You don't matter." Your character um, has disqualified you from being God, and I'm going to move towards something else. It's a rejection of God's authority to judge sin. It's a rejection that God is ultimately objective and full of justice. Um, This campus loves justice. That is something that I love about Appalachian State. Um, If you go look at all the banners, there's several banners about social justice, all kinds of different justice, ending inequality. And that's great, and I applaud um, our students for that, and I'm all about that because we should really care about ending inequality and bringing justice to bear in the world. But I'm not sure that we're super comfortable with the kind of justice that God is all about because we want justice for things that we care about, and then we want God to leave the rest of it alone. We want Him to 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 judge and to punish the things that we dislike. But then to kind of skip over some stuff in this. But what God does in, in his judgment, God is completely and perfectly objective. You've never met a person that's completely and perfectly objective. Everybody lets something slip through the cracks. They, they gloss over something. God glosses over nothing. Every thought, word, and deed that is sinful will be judged. Okay. There's one. Okay, here's why that's good news. Okay, this is a sort of a double-edged sword. The one side cuts clean, and the other side, not so much. Um, the good news that God is fully just. I mean, he he's the only person that can stand and say, "I'm totally uh, free from guilt. I've done nothing wrong, and so I can stand in judgment over everything." The reason that's good is because that means that everything will be judged, and that the bad guys will never get away. That means that everyone that has hurt someone, everyone that has maybe hurt you or hurt someone that you love, everyone that has perpetuated inequality, whether how big or how small, often in this world you know that there are people that are too big to fail and there are people that are too big to punish, but not in God's economy. In the end, God will punish. He will will hold everybody accountable to what they've done. And that's really good news because that means at the end of the day, everything's going to be put right. And that love, yes, love, is going to win in the end. Because God will vanquish everything. Um, But it is kind of bad news for us. Because if you have begun to be honest with yourself for a moment, if God's going to judge everything, that means that he's not going to skip over you. He's not going to skip over me. Every thought, every word, every deed, he will hold accountable. Um... Because our God is a consuming fire. This is what the Bible says about God. He's a consuming fire, and he is no respecter of persons. Um, that's really good news on the one hand. And that's really scary news on the other hand. Um, when, it's good news for this reason. When you get married, if you get married, one of your consistent fights will be where to eat at. Um, I know you're like, That's impossible. How could that be something that you fight over? Um, (laughs) uh, We need to talk. Um, uh, Because it'll look like this. You'll just desperately want the other person to say, this is where I want to go eat. And they'll never say that. They'll always say, no, I don't know where you want to go. And you'll say, just make a freaking decision. Um, You'll just want the other person to take responsibility for a decision. And cosmically, in a sense that we, we want that. All of us want that. We want somebody else to be ultimately responsible. At the end of the day, God is going to be that judge. And that is good news. And it's going to be complete. Um, here's another reason why it's good news. Um, don't you want everything to be right? Isn't there a part of you that when you hear about uh, women and children throughout the world that are tortured, that are tortured, and murdered. Isn't there a part of you inside that goes, somebody please stop that? In the ultimate sense, that's what God is going to do in the judgment. That he's going to end all that and he's going to vanquish all that forever. But we won't escape that judgment either. So what about us? What's the good news? Is this we just close it down tonight and say, all right, get out there, do better. Study your Bible more. Have a better, quiet time, and maybe God will be nice to you when he comes in the judgment. Um, No. The good news for us tonight is that in Jesus Christ, the judgment has been brought back in time. It's like this. What Jesus was doing on the cross, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, was taking God's judgment for his people. So that now, if you trust Jesus, the day of salvation is here. If you trust Jesus, you don't have to look forward to a judgment and fear something that's going to come. If you want to see the judgment, look backward in time. Because God has poured out his judgment on Jesus. Imagine you got a traffic ticket. Uh, imagine that you ran a red light, which I know no one ever does. Um, I turned left on a red arrow on the reg because I think it's the dumbest traffic thing ever. And... Um, and like there's obviously no cars coming. I can just do this. And so let's let's just imagine that's you, and um, and you get pulled over, and you get this ticket, and it's hefty. It's five hundred bucks. Okay, nobody has five hundred bucks. Let's be honest. And um, so you go to traffic court, and you stand there, and the judge, and you're like, I'm gonna fight it. You know, I'm gonna fight it. And the judge plays a tape, a traffic camera, and it's you, man. It's your 2002 Hyundai Sonata. And it's turning left on the red arrow, and you can see your tag, you can see your flannel hanging out the window. You can see your RUF sticker on the back of the car or whatever. And it's obviously you, and you're standing right there, and you're just dead to rights. And there's nothing that you can say. Uh, Interestingly enough, when the Bible talks about the judgment, it talks a lot about people being quiet. Um, Because God just goes, okay, well... Here it is. Let's just start going through the list here. And you're like, yep, yep. There's a sense that that, there's nothing for us to argue with. The evidence is right there. So imagine that's you. You're like, I'm turning. You're like, okay, crap. He says, okay, you're you're guilty. The fine's $500. I'm not lowering it. So then imagine the judge steps down. I mean, you're totally guilty. The judge steps down. He pulls out his wallet. He walks to the clerk. He pulls out 500 bucks and lays it down. He goes, you're guilty. And you're totally free. Okay? That would be pretty cool. Um, Imagine if you were in there for murder. And imagine the judge says the same thing. He says, You're guilty. We have you on camera. He comes down, he takes off the robe, he takes the cuffs, and he's led away. And he says, You're guilty, and you're free. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for us that we don't look forward to a judgment, we look backward. To what Jesus has done. That is our judge. And so the good news tonight is as we think about the judgment. The judgment is real. The judgment is complete. Um, When we think about God's character. Is God love or is God wrath? Okay. God has wrath. Okay. But if God was wrath, we would know it. God in his character, in his being, is goodness and love. And our judge is the one that comes down from the bench and says, let me pay this fine. That is the character of our God. And the question for us tonight is, will you trust him? Will you move toward love and goodness and wholeness? Or will you continue to to harbor resentment and bitterness and fear toward him? Um. This weekend, I'll end with this. This weekend, I was at a missions conference because that's what I do. And um, I go and meet my dog and pony and here's my family and give me money. And and, uh, I was riding with this guy. He was like 80 years old. His name was Charlie. And uh, he was giving me a ride. He used to be a pastor. And he was telling me his story um, about when he was a kid. And he grew up in um, Anderson, South Carolina. And. He said that when he, was a, when he was a little boy, he was on the playground, and he was a, he didn't, his family didn't go to church. His family was in the church family. And he said, I was just beating the snot out of this kid on the playground. Like, we got in a fight, and I just beat the tar out of him. And he said, I beat him up so bad. He didn't think he was like eight. Um, he said, I beat him up so bad that he looked at me, and he said, you ought not ever go to church. You're too bad. <laughs> this is a great story. This guy was the best. And... Um, and he was like, you know what? He's right. So he didn't go to church. He did. He's like, I'm too bad to go to church. So he said one day he meets another guy, and um, he's talking to him, and the guy, and it's another like nine year old kid. He's like, well, why don't? He's like, hey, do you go to church? He's like, no, nah, we don't go to church. He said, why not? He's like, I'm too bad for church. <laughs> and this is a this is a great nine year old response. He goes, church is for bad people, dummy. <laughs> The beauty of what Jesus has done is that our judge takes the judgment that we deserve, that we're done, and he takes it on himself. And he goes, This place is for bad people. It's not for people that have gotten together and figured it out. It's for bad people that will turn to me, and I'll take all that badness on myself, and I'll bring them along. So tonight, I don't know how you're fearing God, how you're resenting God, how you're bitter against God, whether you're a Christian or not. Will you move toward love and goodness in God, or will you move away? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. We thank you that you are good. Yes, you are coming to put everything right. That's good news in one sense and really terrifying news in another sense. So, Lord, would you by your grace, uh, we know that the more that we move toward you, the more that we will find freedom and rest. Would you enable us to do that? Um, because we are bad. We're a mess. We need you. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name, Amen.